Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1520, Luther wrote three Reformation papers. Three papers so important, so ingrained in Lutheranism, and so widely accepted among Christendom, both Protestant and Catholic, by the way, that three, three papers, you could argue, changed the course of history. Unfortunately, we almost never read them anymore. The first of these papers is addressed to the German nobility. This is the grandfather, maybe even the great-grandfather of, of the separation of church and state concept. Although, truth be told, Luther would be aghast at the purging of the government from so many of religious trappings. In Luther's mind, who, if not the government, would defend the church? Who would fund the church, if not the princes and the noblemen of the realm? The second paper he wrote was the address to the German nobility. It laid the groundwork for the championing of the two kingdoms. The first kingdom is the kingdom of the left, which has certain responsibilities, and it also sets that aside and looks also at the kingdom of the right, which is the church that also has certain responsibilities, and neither is in charge of the other, and both are overseen and judged by God. The idea biblically is that a godly government protects the citizens and punishes evildoers, and having that done, they should be able to leave a moral population, just leave them alone, and they'll be good. The second paper later, the Babylonian captivity of the church, here Luther attacks the linkage between the hierarchy of the clergy and the sacraments, making the case that any any rightly ordained clergy could administer the sacraments, that the power of the sacrament comes from God via the Holy Spirit and not the papacy. It doesn't come from the cardinals. It doesn't come from the archbishops or the curia. Any rightly called pastor can do the things of God because he's a rightly called pastor. In other words, if 15 Christians are on a plane and they wreck in the middle of the South Pacific on a deserted island, out of those 15 Christians, one of them ought to be elected to be pastor for the giving of the forgiveness of sins, the preaching of the gospel. And if you can, you'd have to find grapes. <laughs> but if you could make wine, then you could have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as well. And they wouldn't need the blessing of anybody because that would be a rightly ordered call elected by the congregation that was there. The third paper is 1520, is the Christian of a freedom, which takes up the question, what does it mean to be free? In our culture, freedom is almost always associated with choice. He who has the choice is actually free. If you don't have the choice between A or B, then you are not free. Any infringement, any infringement, by the way, Upon this choice is seen as an infringement upon freedom, at least by some. If you don't have the right to choose between an M16 and AK-47, your rights have been diminished. This is why abortion is always couched in the words of freedom and choice. Because most of us hear freedom, we think about choice language. Freedom has arisen from the idea that man is free if we're free from detachment. Freedom arises from the idea 
of personal independence. Freedom arises from the idea of personal autonomy, but the Bible doesn't know of any such freedom of man. The Bible understands that man is not born free. They are born trapped. They are bound unto themselves and themselves alone. They are not free. Man is not free to make his own decisions. Man is born dead. He is born dead. He lives dead. He's dead in his sin. He's dead in his trespasses. And he is dead for perdition and destined for damnation. Sinful man cannot storm the gates of heaven. Sinful man cannot escape the gates of hell. Sinful man cannot make himself clean in the eyes of God. Man can only live as a slave as he lives in, with, and under the slavery of the sin that he was born of. He's only made free if he's born again. If he's born of water and the word, and then he becomes free. And Jesus is the only man who was ever born free. He's the only one ever born without sin. He's the only one who was ever born not in the sinfulness of his bound unto himself. Possibly you might say that Adam is the exception, but Adam wasn't born, he was created. Adam didn't have a belly button. He might have had a belly button. I don't know. I never met him. But he was created and not born. Now, Jesus is the only one born sinless. But he was born to die. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, from this very hour that I've come, for this very reason I've come to this hour. Someone had to come. Someone had to die. And indeed, in the Old Testament law, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness. Now, God never defends that statement. God never footnotes that edict. He just says that that is the way it is. Disobedience is death and sin equals death. Now we need somebody to save us from the death that we were born into. And it can't be us because we've already been born into it because we're not free to choose. We're not actually free. We're bound unto ourselves to do exactly what we want, how we want, when we want, and nothing else. Jesus charges the Jews who believe in him. He says, if you hold into my teaching, you're really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth sets you free. And although those Jews didn't like to admit it, and maybe we don't like to admit it, and maybe you don't like to admit it, but anyone who sins is a slave to sin. I mean, you sin though, right? Certainly you didn't mean to, right? You didn't mean to sin. There was extenuating circumstances, right? You were angry. That's usually when I'm at my worst. When I am angry. You were angry. You were not thinking. Maybe you didn't know it was a sin. Maybe you were just trying to make the best of a bad situation. The devil made me do it. People are not born free. They're born in, with, and under slavery to sin and death, and hell, this is why everybody gets sick and dies. This man, Jesus, is the only one who was sent with a purpose. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I've come into this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. And the voice from heaven comes, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus does nothing outside of the will of his Father. Does that make him a slave, or does it make him free? It makes him free. Because he does the will of the Father. Unlike us, who are not free, who don't do the will of the Father. John chapter 13, verse 20, I'll read it again. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, those who came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they answered, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves me will lose his life, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, and now my soul is troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It was for this purpose that I've come into this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice from heaven comes, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there, and they heard it. Some thought it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken unto him. Jesus is talking about his being lifted up from on high. For Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus reveals himself through that light. Jesus reveals himself through what he does, which is follow the will of the Father. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. This lifting up of Jesus reveals the Father's will to save us from sin and death and hell. John 12, verse 45, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. He is crowned king upon the cross. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, precisely because he is a willing participant in the will of God the Father. Who is this man who gives over his life freely and abundantly? He is the Lamb of God. The Son of God who freely reveals the Father's will unto us. He reveals the Father to us by what he does inside his obedience. He is the Word of God, the very image of the invisible God. Who is this man whose life is given so that others might live? Is he a slave or is he free? He is free. He is actually free. Because he can do what God the Father has called him to do. He is the Son who is not a slave. He remains in the house forever, he says. Therefore, he is the Son who made us free indeed. We have been baptized into his death, and with that baptism we receive that Spirit of the Almighty. John 3, 3, truly I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John 20, verse 22, and when he said these things, he breathed upon his disciples. He sends them out into the Lord, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins, they are withheld. You see, Jesus is the son. Jesus is the son of the house. He is the prince of David. Very God of very God. He has created us anew. He has baptized us in the waters of forgiveness. He has minted us into the shadow of the cross. And we, as new men and new women, freed of God, also then become servants. In the likeness 
of him who freed us. Servants of the Lord God. We are no longer free, or we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer bound to the baser things. We're no longer encased in our own desires. We are now slaves of righteousness, not to ourselves. And in him, we are bound to the commandment of John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Who then is this man who willingly gives over his life for others, both slave and free? He is baptized humanity. He is you and I invited freely to pray, our Father who art in heaven. He is baptized. You and I who gladly lives as a slave for Christ unto the world. He is baptized. You and I who are bound unto the law of love to serve the Lord God, not because we have to, but because we desire to, because we are children of the heavenly Father. He is baptized. You and I who lives in the perfect freedom of God's own love, free not to do anything we wish, but free to do the word and the work of God the Father Almighty. The Reformation preached the God who is known. And the only God who is known unto us is this crucified Son of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but unto those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God. The Father gave up His only Son out of freedom of His love. We call this solo gratia, by grace alone. And it is impossible to receive that grace except through the freedom of a thankful heart for the redemption given unto us in Jesus. We call this sola fide, faith alone. And this gospel is proclaimed, and it's proclaimed only through scriptures where God tells us who he is and what he thinks about us. We call this solo scriptura, grace alone, faith alone, through Scripture alone, and only in the Holy Spirit does God make His will known unto us and frees us from slavery of sin and death and hell to be children of the Almighty God. We're the only ones that are actually free. But not free to do anything that we want and anything that we feel like because that's not the essence of freedom. The essence of freedom is to live in our Father's house and to be obedient unto his will. That's freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.